Welcome to the Platform to Perform podcast, the podcast for coaches, athletes, and anyone looking to perform at their highest level. If performance is your goal, we aim to provide you with a platform to perform. I'm your host as always, Todd Davidson, and joining me on episode 30 of the Platform to Perform podcast is Howard Green. How are you doing today, Howard? Yeah, very good. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me on. My absolute pleasure. Do you want to start by giving the listeners a, a bit of an introduction to yourself and explaining why you do what you do? Um, why I do what I do? I do what I do because I enjoy helping people, regardless of level or age or even scenario, like be it players or even coaches doing more kind of bit of coach ed and mentoring now. That's what I enjoy. Um, and it took time to arrive there. So like background is um, military. I spent six years in the Royal Marines transition from there into sports coaching at the sports coaching degree and I was going to go into rugby league but kind of realized a lot of the contracts were kind of pretty volatile and short short-lived in terms of two or three year contracts um throughout my degree volunteered my arse off from day one um which helped develop experience develop qualifications um, which helped with applying for part-time jobs during university but part of that I, I came and did some volunteering under my cousin at Bolton Arena um, and then basically just never left. It, it progressed from volunteering to part-time work to being offered a full-time position. This was the end of my second year. So my third year, I tailored everything towards tennis that I could, picked more high-performance like conditioning and training uh, as modules to support that. Um, and then, yeah, just, just I've, I've never left. I've been here 11 years now and been head of the program for quite a long time, um, a large part, part of that. But... Yeah, I think big evolution. Um, always, you know, you listen to podcasts back in the day and you can't get off the train and you think, oh, I don't know anything. But one of the things I always would pick up was people would always say, OK, I was a half decent athlete or I was a failed athlete. And I, for a long time, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder that I, I wasn't an athlete. And then I spent a lot of time with Darren Roberts and we both kind of learned to love our military past and understand, well, I was an athlete. I was a tactical athlete. I was an athlete, athlete at quite an elite level. And you know, the, the shape that I was in and the, the mental strength that was required for that, like, yeah, it, it is as much any sport that's out there. So, yeah, that was kind of big evolution of me and my mindset to to come to terms with, yeah, I was, I was an athlete. And, no, I've just, I've been around a little while now, so I'm a bit bit older, um, came into education a little bit later. I've got that, that background of um, the military. I'm working pretty much all my life. I've, I've always worked, so I've got good work ethic, but I think, what I bring to the party that's a little bit different is just a little bit more long in the tooth and I've got more life experience now. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. My next question was going to be, um, I suppose, besides, uh, I mean, I'm hasten to use the word cliche because I don't want to sound like that's talking down to you at all. Um, but besides the obvious things that might spring to people's minds, so discipline, um, things like that, is there any other unique advantages you feel like you bring from a military background that perhaps wouldn't be as obvious to people? Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's a very, you know, I was part of the Royal Marines and we're bred from day one that we're better than others. And we, we have commando spirit and commando values that are, are drilled into us in terms of like courage and, and selfishness, cheerfulness in the face of adversity, but things like that would be transferable to any, any job in terms of like adaptability, humility, humility, professional standards, you know, it's, it, it, it was it's quite an elitist mindset that was developed, um, which is good for, for, for some elements, but, you know, 
you mentioned if there's any drawbacks that would probably be the drawback that, that, that took some time to get over that I don't have to be the best or try and be the best or be seen to be the best and I think that feeds things like you know lower self-esteem or imposter syndrome you're always pushing and pushing to learn more do more uh, work harder work longer hours just to kind of justify yourself but yeah that, I think the one thing that I think can bring to sport and again it's took time for me to reconcile my military past you know coming coming away with PTSD and stuff from Afghanistan is the concept of rehearsal um, and ultimately we would rehearse a lot to a high degree um, because if our rehearsals didn't go well that meant somebody getting shot and dying so I'm not you know but we would practice without weapons with weapons with no ammunition with blank ammunition with live ammunition we would drill and drill and drill and drill and drill that when the actual action of bullets came flying at you your young 18 year old lad who's on his first tour just kicked into action and i think athletes could potentially learn from that you know even the kind of the book the exos book of like every day is game day like everything you do you know the way you do anything is the way you do everything and i just don't think enough guys get that that everything that they do it can be rehearsing for match day um, in terms of the discipline, in terms of the timekeeping, in terms of managing their equipment, managing their energy levels, bringing the energy, bringing, bringing the re- relevant mindset to each and every session. So I think that would be something I would like to open up on and start to, I guess, present on a little bit more. Um, whereas now it's been more kind of, I guess, training methodologies and philosophies. That would be like an additional, I guess, presentation that I'd like to put together and start to propose. I mean, I'd certainly be a very keen listener to that. I mean, I remember when I was an intern at uh, Middlesex Cricket and I was observing one of the coaches who he must have been in his 70s, has been there for decades. And with the first session of the year, uh, year 11s, first session with 11 year olds, he was like, who's got a water bottle? And most hands went up. He's like, whose parents have got their water bottle up in the gallows or the gallery even? And a few hands went up and he's like, you've missed an opportunity to be to better yourself to be better than your opponents and you think a lot of people who for example are like oh yeah but kids you know they might not be professional cricketers and you're like no you're missing the point because this is how we make them better at life itself it's not about necessarily getting an edge to be in the first team it's about well that's your edge to well do better in life to be better prepared whether it's a job interview or whether it's I suppose, getting in the first team in six, seven, eight years' time. Massively. Massively. Everyone talks about person first, player-centred. Like, it starts with those behaviours as a, a human being <laughs> in terms of, yeah, just, just general discipline and timekeeping. And You know, I've, I've, when we're in the forces, you'd be on an exercise and they'd say you, you get bumped, they'd come, they'd throw in like a flashbang or fire off some rounds and you'd have to pack all your gear and move it. So, you know, I come in and the kids stuff's everywhere. There's stuff out of the bags and I'll bump them. I'll go, right, move your bags. You've got quick as you can. They've got for 60 seconds and they've got like stuff on top of their head. They've got stuff around their arms. They're dropping stuff. And I'm like, it's not acceptable. You know, a tidy tennis court is a happy tennis court. But yeah, just, just, just general training the person, training, as you say, the life skills, I think is more important than anything, you know, like, even books that we've all read about the all blacks sweeping the sheds, et cetera, et cetera. It's those general day-to-day actions and behaviors that drive performance more so than the weight that you lift or the time you sprint or 
the technical session either. It's, it's, it's just what, what is at the core, what is at the core of your identity will have a bigger impact, I believe, on your long-term performance and success than, than anything. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the other day I was uh, training in the gym that I train in and one of my, uh, one of the students I teach, year 10 boy, uh, walked in. He's like, oh, you're right, sir. I thought, what is the one thing I can tell him that's going to make, because he mentioned it was his first day in the gym. And I thought, what's the one thing I can tell him without being overbearing, without him thinking, oh God, the teacher's watching or, you know, just leave me alone or whatever. I thought, what's the one thing I can tell him that will set him up um, for, I suppose, a productive gym session and the rest of his life. And annoyingly, you always think of good ideas when you leave or when it's too late. But I thought, if I tell him one thing, put your weights back, then, you know, that's, Again, people might think it's a being uh, overbearing or whatever, but it's like that in itself will then spiral into other things in a positive way. No, we would talk about leaves, leave an area looking better than when we got there. We would tidy it up. We have, you know, we've got big respect. We've got kind of high standards. If we turned up in a place as a poo tip and we left it, we wouldn't leave it that way. And people like, I've worked with Naomi Brody, she would be somebody who, would pick up empty water bottles on the side of the court. Many players don't. You know, they leave the players an absolute tip expecting somebody that works for the tournament to come and put their stuff away. But, you know, she's somebody who, who I would say is, is really good with these sort of things to the point where I've been on court with her in a match at a Grand Slam and the ball boy got a bo- uh, nosebleed. She runs over, gets the tissues out of her bag and gives her. That's just like this type of person she is. So, you know, I much prefer people with, with, with a heart like that than those that might be a little bit more ruthless a little bit more less disciplined which we say yeah and like you said she well when she retires from the game or when anyone retires from their sport you're still going to be a person it's like you can't just leave your I feel like if you get to the end of this sporting career and what your what you say about your coaches is are they taught me I don't know a forehand to serve then you think oh there's loads of missed opportunities there like obviously you're gonna learn the technical side but what more can you bring to the table that's it i mean guy that did a presentation for recently mike barrel who's saying he's having a conversation with the parent of a seven-year-old and he's telling her he wants to be a pro tennis player we obviously know that's like a long stretch but mike was like well what are some of the life skills that we could be teaching him he's like well what do you mean he went well you know when he finishes being a pro he's still gonna have to have a job you know what what skills will he need for that next job and if we start with that sort of stuff, and, and, and tennis is an unbelievable sport, or any sport really, for teaching these life skills, um, sportsmanship, respect for your opponent, you know, discipline in terms of, you know, day in, day out, doing the boring stuff that's required. There's so many things that, that the young people can learn from being involved with sport. Oh, 100%. Uh, one of my... Uh, one of my favourite quotes when I was uh, with the GB uh, boxing team and it was a picture on the wall and I thought it's so true because it's almost a misconception that if athletes are elite that they must be putting 100% effort in all the time um, which for some athletes it is uh, whereas it's not always a given but the quote was something along the lines of every athlete has the will to win not every athlete has the will to prepare and uh, just diving on a little bit of a tangent uh, a few hours ago, I was listening to an interview with uh, David Hay talking about this weekend's boxing. And he said that Chisora is going to give 100% in the fight, but saying that now he's actually putting in 100% in training three months out and saying that that's, that's where it counts because everyone wants to win. Like anyone who's involved in sport wants to win. But it's those little things, as you said, um, tidying up the court, whether you're looking to gain the advantage in terms of how you're living your lifestyle 
that's going to underpin your ability to have any sort of success. Yeah, I mean, we've got like we've got an underpinning academy philosophy that we're trying to drill into the kids as much as we are, like you say, forehands, backhands, like, like core concepts of ownership, work ethic, no excuses, in the determination and teamwork. The ownic philosophy is 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 where everything begins and and ends at all times. So the more we can kind of, I think this is think like conversation about sports psych it's very important that it's it's intertwined in everything that we do whether that's on the technical session whether that's in my physical sessions whether it is a a, a sports site led session on court or off court like it's got to be intertwined it's got to be kind of at times hidden um whether you're kind of putting it out there as a test um making sure they've got the relevant tools to deal with the situation but you know looking beyond like you say accuracy of serves like beyond how do they deal with tight situations in tie breaks and things like this and just go back to a point you made earlier about the uh act of rehearsal and what i gained from that when you were talking it through is very much similar to how for example we're not going to start an athlete day one with i don't know 200 kilo back squat we're going to progressively overload that um how do you or how do you go about for example progressively overloading or strip feeding those standards that you expect. So I imagine it might be, I mean, I'm making an assumption here, by the way, so feel free to correct me, but I imagine coming from a military background where you've had this drilled into you, um, it could be potentially difficult to see people who haven't been brought up with that mindset thinking, well, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And almost thinking, where do you start? Yeah. I mean, I learn from those more experienced than yourself and somebody I was like, I was probably complaining about a player or, and he's probably said, look, Howard, you can't wear your green braid for everyone. <laughs> you know, like you've got to wear different hats for different people. Not everybody's at the same point. Um, you know, I've had a conversation with a new play- a player I'm about to start working with a bit more closely today. And I was like, what's the aspirational goal? And he said, well, to be a pro. I went, well, that's fine. But you now have to accept that and hold you to much higher standards and, and, and expect much more from you. Are you agreeing with that? He's like, yeah, you know, as long as they can, they can accept that. But it's, yeah, it's taking them on the journey. It's important that they have a say. So we've recently, like over the past couple of weeks, we're going to convert the ONIC philosophy into what's expected within um, the S&C sessions as well. So, you know, they, they all had opportunity to kind of put forward different examples of what exceptional behavior looks like across each of those. Um, one of those was interesting in terms of inner determination about always working on, you know, working on your weaknesses, the improvements need to come from the player. And I sat down and I was like, wow. So I did some like sit down with a few of the guys individually and I was like, right, okay, let's go through. What do you need to work on? And I, I knew what the answer was because we've done some like tracking slash testing throughout the half term, but never right, really published the results. I'm just kind of seeing where they're at to push in the next. So when it got, beyond okay well I understand these are my flexibility goals you know I need to work on this movement pattern I need to work on you know my lunge I need to work on my change of direction when it got a little bit deeper they were like they got stuck and I put a question mark on the board and I went is that the answer and they were like well yeah and I was like whose responsibility is that and they went oh it's mine and I went it's not it's mine if you're not crystal clear on your weaknesses because this this all came born of guys not putting in the required effort during warm-ups so if you don't know clearly, this is my sprint time, that's my target, 
Howard's put a sprint in my warm-up pre-tennis. If I do that two to three times a week for the next six to eight weeks and then we retest it, there's a good chance that's going to be better. So it kind of all starts with that why. Why why have I put that set of exercises? They could understand like the mobility exercises via the kind of movement screen that we've done, but that end bit, which was like the potentiation, rather than just being a random set, they're kind of linked to what they need to work on, but they just weren't clear enough on it. So it's you've, they've got to be involved. You've got to get to the point where they're comfortable in conversations. And I find kind of pre-puberty, they are much more comfortable having conversations. As soon as they're in that awkward stage, yeah, you have to drag it out of them. But yeah, they've got to be involved. You've got to have these combos. You know, it's, it's, it's like working on a business. You can work in the business and on the business. And you obviously, more often than not, you're trying to work in the business and refine your programming and set the standards within the session. But if you were to spend five to 10 minutes working on these wider behaviors and explaining the content a little bit more, and you're going to, over a long term, you're going to see much more benefits um, than just kind of some sessions like, you know, like high tempo. So if, I, if I've got a large group, say 15 or 16, I'm much more dictatorial in that session because, yeah, you've just got to keep them on the short leash otherwise they're going to mess about. You know, you're like, right, you know, you put the work in. I'll give you 10, 15 minutes of football, but you've got to put the effort in first. And you get caught in a trap of just getting the work done and you're not really spending the time to explain why those exercises are in there or why you expect certain elements uh, of work ethic in this drill. So that's definitely something I try to do a lot more than I used to. That feeds quite nicely into uh, my next question in terms of uh, you saying getting caught in a trap of getting work done. Uh, so when you presented at the Charter Champion Conference in 2019, one of the things that I was fascinated by and would like to you to elaborate on is that you said you disagreed with the youth physical development model in the respect of uh, if you've looked at the papers, it argues for a less structured approach to training uh, younger athletes. Um, and you actually argued that you need to be better at putting the structure in when you're coaching younger athletes versus adult athletes. Do you want to just elaborate on uh, what you meant by that? Yeah, I guess it was just like hiding the work. Um, you know, when you when you first start off, you kind of you understand programming and you kind of understand what exercises do, does what. And, you know, like this term across the board from my tots through to the guys who are under 18s, I'm using game-based stuff much, much more. But I know precisely what I'm trying to get out of it. Whereas when you're a younger stage, you just, you know, as a coach, I mean, less experienced, you deliver sessions, you deliver exercises, you know, you don't deeply understand how this one connects to the next. So it wasn't so much that, you know, you go in with this really highly programmed session. It doesn't look programmed, but underneath it is. Does that make sense? So it's like, you know, you've got the likes of Simon Brundish and Jeremy Frisch. I say, oh, look, no, no, I just get them to do this. I just get them to do that. But it's via lots and lots of experience. It looks like just an assault course or it just looks like a series of constraints within a warm-up. But there's a lot going on. There's lots subtly hidden in there. Um, And I think, yeah, the more experienced you become, you can use these game-based approaches. You can better hide work. You can better tease them along a trail of discovery to get the end product that you want without, like I say, being massively dictatorial in that scenario. But I do think it requires a good think about it. 
doesn't need you don't have to have been doing it 10 15 years but just spend a bit of time that it isn't just aimless activity you have got something productive going behind that and there is some context behind what you're delivering even if it is a session with balloons there's something there's there's fundamental movement patterns hidden within the specific shapes so that's kind of the super movers thing like there's shapes that they need to move well as a human but would underpin the movements required for the sport hidden in the game be it kind of hit the balloon up touch the floor you've just disguised a squat and a hook you know an overhead reach type exercise it's little things like that i guess just just being smart with your constraints being smart with the tasks being smart with the games yeah, and it's definitely something I'm looking forward to getting better as a PE teacher, especially when you've got mixed ability groups, because I think that and I've spoken at length with other podcast guests about the sport model. If we get into lazy coaching where it's like, right, split into teams and the kids who haven't got the movement skills, one, they get found out or two, they just shy away and conditioning the game where that lower ability pupil improves at the same rate as the higher ability pupil. But actually, they don't realise why you've conditioned certain people in certain ways to do that subtly without the kids being like, Oh, he's doing this because he's rubbish, sir. Like <laughs> that, that's a real art in itself. And with your super movers stuff, in terms of uh the thinking behind the progressions and the regressions for that, um, from what I've seen online, it's uh more coordinated based. Would that be true to say? Um it's in there. It's, it's, it's an important element. So like the smash stands for strength, movement, agility, stability, and then honing coordination skills. Um, and then with each element, we're trying to work on specific things. So we're like with the strength, we're trying to work on like strong tennis shapes that underpin all movement. The movement drills, we're working on spatial awareness so they can read and track their opponents better. The agility work, and we're working at moving speed and intensity so that we can reach balls in all directions. Stability is both dynamic and static balance. So we can deal with balls of varying difficulty, either close or far. Um, and then the holding coordination skills, that's what kind of we've got, got the kind of the RB radio stuff in. And by that point, you'll, there'll be a ball involved. So if, let's take an example of a, a, a honing coordination drill would be a multi-directional feed. Um, self-feed, so I just throw the ball in front of me, I run, and then I catch the ball. So this is what we're talking about, this subtly, subtly hidden work. Well, straight away, in that, I've got some acceleration, deceleration. If they're arriving in a non-balanced position, maybe kind of a, some form of split stance, but it's unstable, as a corrective, you're going to bring in the shape of the squat that you've done in the strength component. So I guess as, the, as the, you move through the smash, so we've got kind of we're moving different directions. There's three, three directions, forward and back, side, side, multi-directional. If by the time you get to the coordination component, the movement is breaking down, you have already within that warm-up session rehearsed the corrective shape. Does that make sense? So you only need to go, well, do you know we did that start and stop exercise? That's what I'm looking for you to do. Move quickly to the ball and then stop. What shape do you need to make when you stop? You know, we did it in the first section, in the strength section. Ah, um, oh, right, yeah, a squat. Okay, so that's what I want to see now. I want to see when you move forward, use that element of deceleration, shortening your stride and sitting your butt down, and then arrive in a nice strong squat position. So you've got these ways to correct what's going on. So imagine it like a flow chart. So at the top, there's, there's your coordination exercise. And then, you know, you put out 
flow charts all the time. You know, is the player arriving in a balanced position? No. Are they decelerating um, well enough? Yes or no? Well, they could be yes, but they're trying to catch it in a lunge shape. So the back knee's moving or the front foot's unstable. Okay, corrective might be try and get them to catch in a two-handed position in a squat shape, and that should then tidy up that instability. So the whole point is kind of giving coaches a pre-planned what can be what we'll get in the tennis coaches to deliver as a warm-up, but also they've got the tools to fix it if it's broken down in any way. And ultimately, the shapes, the movement patterns are what they're about to do when they start striking a ball. But as you say, a more sport-driven kind of model, most of the kids now don't move very well in, in a very general sense, all the way down to balancing on one leg. You know, So how are they expecting them to do dynamically hit that serve, land on one leg, push back, or do a hop step. You know, Kelvin Giles was brought in with the LTA to bring in the physical competency assessments. Um, and players, you know, and coaches took time to understand why you might assess a hop and hold. No, no, she'd be fine. She, she hop steps on the court, but then you break that movement down into a more closed environment and, 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 and it isn't competent. You know, there's knee valgus, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, again, touching on the concept of rehearsal. If you've rehearsed your shapes and your movement patterns in your warm-up repeatedly, then you can fall back on those, the quality of that movement in high-stress situations, be it fatigue or pressure in a match. So that's kind of the major concept is you can always rehearse um, and come back to these shapes that need fixing because the coach is amazing at kind of looking at the hands and looking at the racket work, but often it could be the, the body work and the footwork that's actually the issue. Uh, that does perfect summary for me. I mean, I always worry that when I talk about, for example, uh, revisiting the fundamentals or the basic shapes that people, or for example, about a sport model of P being somewhat outdated, I worry that people will misconstrue that and think that I'm saying, right, let's not play tennis. We're just going to do only movement. And that is absolutely not what I mean. So I like the way you break that down in terms of giving them context of the movement in the warm up, And then, as you said, continuing to do their sports stuff but it's just going to supplement those shapes over time i mean i was sent a video by a coach a mentor of his seniors and we're talking 60 plus doing like an orientation drill um super movers like, like well proves it can be used by anyone i was like this is awesome i said oh please ask them if i can use it they were like definitely not so i was a bit <laughs> gutted with that but yeah like everybody can improve the movement everybody like usually in terms of that physical aspect, I mean, tennis is up there with probably the most di- one of the most dynamic sports ever. But it often gets neglected, and it's usually through like traditions. And I spoke to a coach out in the US, and you know, they went through a big period of educating coaches on the dynamic warm up, which was basically a bit of a jog around the court and then some dynamic stretches, and that's it. And you're like, wow. And he said that is just so ingrained in them now. So I do a lot of like sneaky like questioning tennis groups and stuff like that to learn what language to use with them and stuff so I was like I once posed the question do you ever uh, do you ever struggle to uh, like plan structure write and deliver warm-ups and I actually had somebody took the time out the day to just write no that was it and I was like wow and then I go okay so that's great you know what what does your warm-ups look like and it's genuinely like a jog around the court static stretching and then I then we're in so, you know, athlete development, be it delivered in a 12 to 15 minute warm up, 
you know, that's accumulative across the week, across the month, across the year and years. So that's the whole goal of it really is just to drive athlete development across tennis. Makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned uh, earlier, just as you were speaking there, your model for coordination. Uh, before we dive into that, yeah. um, in fact, that might even be your answer to this question. I'm not sure. But how do you define coordination? Okay, so uh, fancy one off John Kiley. Uh, coordination is when the central nervous system organizes the body to satisfactorily solve a movement problem for the least uptake of resources. So I was like, wow, because he's done a lot of study. Like he's done a lot. And, he, you know, on a podcast that he did, he, he rattled through several, several kind of quotes or terminologies. And they're all a bit vague. But my interpretation of that is, is kind of the athlete needs to most effectively and efficiently create an answer to a movement puzzle set by either the environment or the opponent. So it's just, that's it. You know, it's got to be the least uptake of resources. They've got to be efficient more than anything. So uh, George St. Pierre, I've got into my UFC over lockdown um, and he's being interviewed, I think by Joe Rogan, S&C came up and he's like, meh, don't really do it. He's like, what do you mean? He went, well, why is smashing myself on an assault bike going to make me better in the ring? Oh, the oxygen. He's like, well, fair one. And he's like, what about like strength work? He went, well, I do it. So I look better. So I'm more marketable. And he's like, you do your strength work. And he went, yeah, you know, better, better pecs. I look better in there. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's on the, one of the contender series. He brings this French guy in. Basically, he's pretty much drunk all the time. He smokes. He eats crap. He's got dad bod. But he is that good at Muay Thai. He kicks everybody's ass. Even these guys that, you know, like straight lace, but... He's just an efficient mover in, in the, the, the discipline that he's chosen. So it's not to say that kind of it, it's that old thing that we, people will talk about golfers and all these guys who are like overweight and don't train. Yeah, they're that good in spite of this. But some people are just amazing, you know, like Roger, you know, he's, he's just built for tennis. So the, the, it's not just purely physical. There's, I think there's something going on with his eyes. We're all kind of got certain dominance with eyes. We're I believe he has pretty much equal out of both eyes. So that's why he's so good on the backhand because he sees it as well as he does on the forehand. Um, but yeah, that, that's it really. You know, efficient and effective, you know, and it says in, I put environment or opponent because it might be somebody like who Darren works with us, you know, action sport athletes, you know, that could be the slope. It could be the half pipe, you know, they've got to solve the solution, you know, create a solution. And uh, just using Roger Federer as a prime example, um, in some of your blogs on coordination, there was like a 20 minute uh, mm. with Federer that I was absolutely yeah. fascinated by. But yeah. do you think that whether you think Federer is the exception or the rule, do you think Federer highlights the fact that maybe as strength and conditioning coaches, we either get too focused on the physical or just the fact that we feel more comfortable in pursuing the physical or we don't think Massive. the coordination perceptual stuff is our job. Massively. Our job is to put them on the court that, you know, make them available to train and compete. That's our job. Be able to withstand whatever session that coach wants to throw at them from a physical perspective, from a skill acquisition perspective and have the ability to come back for more that afternoon or the next day 
you know, we massively get hung up. And that's why I'm doing more games. Like, they've got to earn it. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I think it's, it's Nick Grantham talks that you're meat and potatoes and you, you dessert. Like, if they're doing the meat and potatoes in the squad sessions, and that's predominantly now where you predominantly do even doing strength work or movement work, uh, similar to my friend Ollie at Duke's Meadows, like the predominantly the main sessions, that when they do come to me, I'm more than happy to work on real specifics for them in the the movement patterns and throwing like the coordination stuff because they've earned it. So I'm not saying we just throw everything, the baby at the bathwater and now just start hitting fluff balls, but it's also a fun way to break up a session, even with pro athletes like a, a girl, Sasha Vickery, we do some trap bar and then we go in the studios, hit a ball around, okay, back on the bar. You know, you've got to make it fun for them. They've got to do this stuff day in, day out for the rest of their life if they're going to be a pro athlete. You know, having some fun is totally fine. Totally fine. And, and even more so if you're, you're subtly disguising some work in there as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, and that's uh, something I mentioned on yesterday's podcast about striking the balance between f- fun and productive fun. Um, and with your RB radio for breaking down coordination, I think there's no reason why you couldn't do something productive that might look a little bit like play. Um, I have interest when you're doing... I suppose, a needs analysis of an athlete's coordination. I've had it plenty of times where I've delivered a PE lesson and somebody can't do a basic skill, like, I don't know, throwing, catching. And I'm trying to work out on what level of coordination is it, is it breaking down? Um, like you just mentioned there about Roger Federer, you think he may well be so good at coordination, not necessarily because his limbs move faster than everyone else, but because he sees the play or he perceives the play that much quicker. Um do you have any sort of framework for breaking down what level of coordination athlete might be struggling with, or do you just try and make sure that you've exposed them to the different stimuli that make up coordination? Yeah. I mean, a lot of this, like, so the RB radio, that stands for rhythm, balance, reaction, adaptability, interoperability, differentiation and orientation. So you're going to be working on this stuff anyway, but let's take orientation, for example. So that might be somebody moving forward, take, like dealing with a drop shot, and then the opponent lobs them. Well, then they've got to orientate the body in space, adjust the body, deal with now a ball that was low down below the waist, and now it's going to be above the house, uh, above the head. So that's an orientation drill. Balance is something that we all understand is really important, um, statically or dynamically, especially, especially when the guys are growing. It's forever going to go out of kilter. Um, rhythm can be disguised into skipping activities uh, quite like using a metronome um, so you might have a player who's, who's great at, at, at the fast paced stuff but can't slow things down and use their hands so the other day I had a kid and yeah we're just volleying against the wall with a sponge ball and I was just manipulating the um, manipulating the metronome to deal could he solve the movement puzzle so if it was very slow then he's having to loop the ball and get it to go off the wall so again you're just trying to create these 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 problem solvers um we do like when when we do more of a high-end physio screening um, called the performance matrix that looks at the body under two conditions of high threshold in terms of strength and speed and then low threshold in terms of joint alignment and coordination so i always think of it as like is it the Veruvian man? So yeah. if you think of like a severe a sphere and, you know, when you put your arm above your head, 
you hitch the shoulder and you tilt and wing the scap, okay, you now no, no longer own that huge kind of part of that sphere. So now when you kind of, um, you end up having to deal with a, a high ball, you know, you're going to always struggle with that from a coordinated standpoint. And more than likely, that's going to cause a lot of stress through that joint. So again, they're no longer now being effective or efficient. Similarly, if they've got issues around low back pelvis in a low threshold environment, you know, our players need to be able to align ribcage and pelvis to act, you know, efficiently be able to rotate the thoracic and internally rotate the arm. If they've not... So when I picked up Anna Ivanovic, who was former just, world number one. Just sorry, mate, just lost you a second there for about five or ten seconds. You might have to uh you the last thing I heard was uh about you talking about aligning the ribcage and pelvis in a low threshold okay. environment. Yeah, yeah. So, so so for example, if a player cannot control um the alignment of the ribcage and the pelvis, um, they're not gonna be able to efficiently rotate the thoracic or internally rotate the racket arm. So and it's tough because, again, this stuff is now like we train it under two conditions. So say, for example, they are in extension. We'll use a series of like short isometric contractions to work the muscles that are long and weak. Um, so we might do like a diagonal sit up to work the obliques. So we call that a time under tension exercise. But then we might also do an exercise where we put a ball between the knees. We keep the trunk upright. We drop down into a small knee bend. And then can we rotate the thoracic without the hips moving? And that becomes a time under attention exercise. Um, and without, without that ability to have the physical component and then be able to do it consciously, there's a good chance, again, in a high-stress environment, competitive environment, under fatigue, it's going to break down and then lead to either losing the match or an injury. So that's like the high end if we're going to like talk about an assessment because that's totally repeatable. Um, the 10 tests, uh, you know, you stick to the protocols that's then valid and reliable. I'd always get somebody else to do it. So it's not me trying to, fat, you know, assess my improvements in the programming I've done. Um, and then there's other stuff out there. You can go kind of quite generic and create a circuit. You know, it might be bounce the ball here, balance along the beam. Da, 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 da. But there's stuff like uh, there's a there's a German one out there that uses specific exercises, jumping and hopping. Um, F, uh, I'll find it for you. I did have it written down, so because you might ask me. It is. Write it down because I need to go. How success? Number eight. Yeah, sorry. Is the. Absolutely shank this, and I okay. So it's the I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. It's the KFK assessment developed back in 1974. Some of the exercises that you would do, you'd walk backwards along a beam in decreasing widths from six centimeters through down to three. You'd do two legged jumping from side to side for 15 seconds, like the old speed bounce. Uh, moving sideways on some wooden boards for 20 seconds and then hopping for height with one leg over basically a former obstacle and the increase in height would keep going up in five centimeters until you can't do it. So that's, again, 
much more objective kind of set of tasks um, that you could create. No, I, I like that a lot. I think that's my, it always makes me laugh when people uh, knock on the FMS and they say, oh, it doesn't predict injury. And it's like, well, if you read the literature, it was never designed to do yeah. that. But my one critique, of, not critique of it, uh, but my one um, tweak of it would be, as you said, to make sure you're testing them under low stress environments. And if they pass that, then great. Uh, but then what is it like under fatigue uh, with some kind of cognitive overload or maybe you're even doing it at the end of the session? Because that's when things are going to go south. You're not going to get someone who, for example, blows an ACL on a single leg squat when they're fresh. Yeah. And that's it. And that, that in a nutshell is coordination training, in my opinion, is, you know, in your scenario of a PE lesson, you probably have to write a session plan. And then we might go, right, by the end of the session, all athletes will be able to do this some will be able to do this added progression and then a few will be able to do the second stage so then we you know we're developing that everybody's succeeding everybody's you know being stretched to the right level um and and that's what we use for coordination training is this layering approach um you know your first drill is 1.0 and then we go to 1.1 then 1.2 1.3 ah it's just gone to absolute rap poo. okay we bring it back a level um, and that's coordination training in a nutshell, because like you say, you're just increasing the cognitive challenge, but at its core, it can't be a circus drill. It might look like one, but if you can answer five times why you're doing that drill and why, you know, this for this athlete at this time in this session, that's appropriate, then that's justifying and, and bringing context. It's not just something you've picked up um, on YouTube or Instagram, which, which unfortunately does happen and the issue becomes you know a coach and you see all the time they, they start with a drill um somebody doesn't get it and the coach goes one of two ways they either go really dictatorial and start being a bit of an arse because they, they don't they know they don't really know the coaching points or oh, i can't believe you can't do this watch watch i can do it that's not good coaching you know or they haven't got that skill to regress progress or lateralize like okay here's an it's very similar but you're going to do it like this or do you know what that's amazing and that, that's what we tend to do like you say you've got to put that cognitive load is right okay everyone's out of practice ready first to 10 go boom that's when the mistakes happen fine because that's what's going to happen when you start competing so if you can now execute that task and i showed you a little video before of a girl doing so many skips so many little foot taps on a ball into some bounce downs um, the video doesn't show that kept, she kept making mistakes and the ball kept coming off the, the circle. She had to keep it on. So that's now how she's going to improve her time is not panic under stress, maintain the skill of just tapping the ball with greater accuracy. accuracy. Yeah, no, as I said, those tasks you showed me offline, I was uh, very intrigued by. And as you said, it's also nice to go one level deeper and think not just, oh, this looks cool, I'll do this. Um because if you've ever done that with a group of 20 to 30 kids, as you said, you're yeah, going to yeah. get that variability where some kids are fine too easy. Some kids find it too hard. And then if you've not got an idea of what, you know, progression minus one or progression plus one looks like, then that intended fun that you wanted to interject into the session is going to get lost very, very quickly. Yeah. And kids are smart. They're smart. They'll pick up that you don't know what you're doing. Like They're like... You can, you know, you can pitch them. He doesn't even know he's doing this drill. He doesn't even know. And you don't, the last thing you want to do is lose your kind of respect with the players that you're there and you're the, the subject matter expert, you know. If you, if you start by going, guys, like, come on, 
come over here, have a look at this, which I've done. And I'll be like, right, what do you think to that? Oh, that's cool, isn't it? I said, well, do you want to give it a go? Let's try it. You know, if you start with that, you're open and honest. But it, you, it's got to have, it's got to fit in a certain part. It's got to link with something that's already pre-planned or it's in a specific part of the session in which a bit of kind of um, variability and fun's fine. You know, you don't have to completely deviate from the plan. Um, you know, it's like being, I'm, I'm stealing other people's words, but it's like, you know, your session plan, you're being the ship's captain, but you might allow sometimes to be a pirate. Like, or you just set a task, right? There's a ball, there's two hurdles, who can come up with the best drill? And to be honest, I've stolen loads of drills off kids. They come up with some awesome stuff. Some just repeat what they know from you. And others come up with some absolutely belt, some absolute belts. And you're like, I'm having that. Yeah, and it's funny because I find whenever I try and create stuff myself, never any, never as good as I'll see some kid. Uh, I'm trying to think what I was doing the other day. Oh, yeah. So we're doing um, is a fitness scheme of work. And I thought, right, I don't want to go down the route of we're all going to do the bleep test because that's just for me, there's much better uses of time. Um, but I just had it where they had half the team on one side, half the team on one, the other side. And they had to, they were only allowed four feet on the floor between the group at any one time. And I just said, look, it's, uh, it's up to you. You just got to get to the other side. And I was thinking as an adult, two of them are going to jump on two of them's back and walk across and four of them hopped across. And I was like, oh, well, uh, you've, uh, you've completely undermined me, but you're listening. (laughs) So that's a good thing. No, it's good. They always surprise you. Um, on the subject of a question that I meant to ask earlier, uh, so excluding your uh, excluding your background with the Marines, uh, if you could hire one person to, for example, be an SNC coach um, with you in Bolton, but they haven't come from a traditional, I don't know, undergrad, masters, whatever strength and conditioning background, what other field? would you potentially be excited to employ someone from? I think I'm in my world, if they're a deep, like a tennis coach, because they already understand the sport and that's like a big one in terms of like understanding the language and being ex- the ability to go, well, you're doing this for your open stance forehand. So I think if somebody's got an insight to the sport, you know, you can teach them the rest. Um, let me think. Like a completely different job. Yeah. So not not related to not related to sport. A juggler from a circus or a clown. <laughs> you could come in and teach us some bits about coordination. No, I don't know. That's a tough question. Actually, I didn't prepare enough on that one. Uh, I just threw um, out that idea. Only came into my head when yeah. uh, you mentioned your background. No, like like you know, if you get somebody come to you who's already a technical coach and shows an interest in learning what we learn, that's always a win for me, a real win. And, and, and without being sexy, like a female as well, because there's not enough, not enough um, female tennis SNCs in my opinion. And that development of, of strong relationships with female athletes um, is important. I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Like I've only worked with female pros, um, but it's a skill and, 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 and yeah, like I say, a technical coach with, with, with somebody who's hungry to learn, you know, it doesn't take that long to learn what we know, really, you know, like it, when we're working with kids as well, like you can teach them basics pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, they can, you could you could do what we're doing with super movers is like, 
you know, I would start with, right, we're doing this, the, the basic movement patterns and they'll go, all oh, right, yeah, what you could do now is do it like this. Or you could say to the kids, oh, that's going to be like this scenario in a match. You know, I, I, I was going to be, um, I was going to work on the, the ACE program, which is like the old apprenticeship. And they were gonna, I was going to be an assessor on that. But I just didn't have enough stories and analogies to bring it to life to them. And I think, like we know, don't we? We we watch presentations and we've read books that stories bring things to life. They're more emotive than the best session plan ever. If you if you if you can set the environment in the first five minutes of a little story, and we 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 were taught in the Marines to do that, even when we were teaching something. Then you you always started with a story of being on an exercise or being on operations, and I think that's probably something I definitely don't do enough of. And every now and then I think, no, I should do more of that. So like in the gym now, um, you know, I've had T-shirts hung up in the store cupboard from people being at American universities for a number of years. I've finally put them on the wall because it's, you know, it's aspirational for the kids. And then I've put up my, all my lanyards from Grand Slams, you know, that, that I was, I was so driven to achieve that. And they've just been sat in a shoebox on top of my cupboard. And I was like, no, like, that's good for the kids to see it. Like that's what you, you can achieve. You know, I've literally got a notebook that says B I T B on it, B in the box on the page. And I do like a mind map of all the ways I could do it. And then literally five pages later, the next mind map just says Ivanovich in the middle. So I, I don't know if you've read the secret, but you know, it, it's the person who's, who's willing to say it out loud say it out loud and believe it and work, work, do put the work in. So, I, you know, that's the other things I wrote was like, you know, Grant Jenkins on Twitter is putting a lot of stuff out there at the minute around, you know, qualification do not differentiate you at all. Your experience does. And it links to your questions. You know, somebody doesn't have to have come from an S and C background. They might be, you know, late 30s, early 40s. They've got a lot of life skill. They've got a lot of, cross-pollination skills that they can bring into it they can learn anatomy and physiology but you cannot you cannot out look like out learn experience and it could be any experience but my frustrations with the youth of today and people coming to me for the last module in year three of an snc degree on can i come to do my volunteering all oh, right, you know, when do you finish your degree? Oh, no, this is the last thing I need to do. I'm like, you muppet, it should have been the first thing you did. And people are just not willing to work. Like, literally, I've worked since I was 12. I had two jobs when I was 12. I've just worked. I like spending money most, that's why. But, <laughs> like, I've always worked. And anybody, you know, my coach said to me, all you can ever do is deliver the best session you can for the person in front of you for that hour. But I just, I, you know, I live and breathe that. I try and work my arse off in everything that I do, that it's a good enough level. Um, that, it, you know, eventually it doesn't go unnoticed. You know, everyone's moaning that jobs go to people that the people already know. Well, they've probably put a shift in. They've probably been volunteering or somebody told them they're an unbelievable volunteer. You know, I've not been wowed that many times in the people that we've had. I've had a couple you know, the guy we just had on that, I just had a master's in nutrition. He was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, the guy, you know, the guys that come, they come and volunteer or they want to come and shadow and they haven't even got a notebook in their hand. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what questions do you want to ask me now after that session? Oh, oh no, I just wanted to watch. And you're like, 
just 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 people are not willing to graft anymore that's that's my issue really yeah it, it's funny because uh just as you were saying i was thinking of um so a guy called danny wilson who now runs uh boxing science and yeah. as somebody who uh boxed as an amateur and years ago my dream was to be strength and conditioning coach for gb boxing like that was similar to your be in the box thing and i emailed danny asking if i could shadow and uh, he didn't get back to me. And I emailed again, emailed again. Anyway, uh, ended up doing some testing. Someone put on a Facebook thing, oh, is anybody willing to come up to Sheffield to do some testing? So I was like, yeah, too right, I will. Turns out the woman who was doing the testing was good friends uh, or colleagues with Danny. She then texted him and then off the back of that, managed to spend a week with him. And then off the back of this woman, managed to get uh, a week's, uh, not a week, sorry, a day looking at the English Institute for Sport. And then later on, when the internship with GB Boxing came up, the head coach had already seen me because I'd been down there. Yeah. And when I spoke to Danny, he said that he gets flooded with emails saying, oh, can I shadow you? Can I shadow you? Yeah. And he just says he ignores them because he's like, if you really want to do it, then you won't just take the fact that I've not got back to you as a no. And he said, not, enough, not enough people are willing to go past that first setback or they just think, oh, well, that was worth a try. I was 27 years old and getting on buses to go and volunteer in Preston on a sports um, a sports day, literally a, a PE sports day. I'd do anything. I was, I, I was coming to the arena to work for free and it got to the point where I was that poor. I had to turn up at the train station with a bag of change. I was like, this is not good. Then I had no money and to start biking it. It's not that, it's like 15 minute drive. So I had to start biking it and then somebody nicked my bike. But, you know, through that period, you know, that humility and the humbleness of, I was skinned. Like, lads would be like, are you coming out? I'm like, I can't. I'm like, why? I said, I've got no money. I'm genuinely, I'm, I'm not going to get a student loan to go on the lash. And they'd be like, they'd be like, no, come out. We'll look, we'll buy you drinks. And, then, you know, it gets to a certain point in their evening where I'm going to have to walk away. I can't ask somebody to go to the bar for me. But, I was willing to do it. I yeah. was willing to do it. And I was willing to be poor and I was willing to work hard. And and then when I did start earning money, I spent it all on my education further, uh, doing practical stuff over like with Brendan Chaplin. But then, like you say, you bump into people on the next course, you chat to them in a coffee. You know, you need to make yourself be high up on that list. If anything ever comes up and they ask for somebody who's a good egg, you're in the top three. That's it. It's not rocket science. Yeah. I mean, I remember uh, one of um, Brendan's workshops and Dave Hembra was presenting and uh, it was on something to do with philosophy. And he just started the presentation. He got his wallet out. He's like, who wants 20 quid? And everyone's sort of looking on. And he's like, no, no, go on. Who wants 20 quid? And I'd sat in the front row, got there early. I'm thinking, is this, is he being serious? And anyway, I sort of clocked someone else coming from the back. I thought, no, sorry. Uh, when arse over tip to grab the £20 note, and I thought, oh, God, this is embarrassing. He, he's messing around. He's messing around. He's like, no, 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 keep it. He's like, because you put the effort in. So yeah. I said, OK, I'll then put that 20 quid into getting a train fare from Durham to Sheffield to spend a week there. And, uh, sorry, spend a uh, day there with uh, Danny. And then Dave said, oh, where, where are you staying tonight? I said, oh, I'm not staying here. He said, what do you mean you're not staying here? I said, well... I can't afford the hotel fare and the train fare to get me back on the same evening is too expensive. He's like, what are you going to do? I was like, well, the McDonald's is 24 seven. So I was just going to wait there till six in the morning and get the train home. 
It doesn't go unnoticed, does it? No. You know, that's a good story. <laughs> As I said, I'm just, uh, I don't know whether I was more embarrassed or what, but if, it, if he'd have said, oh, I'm only joking, I probably would have died inside. <laughs> Um, just in wrapping up, I've only got a couple of questions left. Um, so we spoke, we kind of alluded to uh, watching other coaches uh, do their work. Um, so you got a chance to spend time with uh, Benny Linder and I read about it on one of your blogs. Um, do you just want to talk through the process of getting that opportunity and what you learned from that? I emailed, I asked. I think a lot of people do go. Um, so it wasn't, he didn't roll the red carpet out for me. He didn't come out for dinner with me at all, but I just emailed. I'd seen some of his stuff on like tennis eye coach, a few different presentations. Um, effectively, the Swiss system is written by Federer's trainer, Pierre Paganini. So the, the methodology, the thought processes, the philosophies, everything, it's from Pierre. Um, so I was like, this is good stuff. So I was just like, yeah, can I come? And then just put my hand in my pocket. Switzerland is not cheap. But got on a flight, got the stayed over. I was there for quite a few days, actually. Um, he let me have time with him on the court, in the gym, a little bit of a lunch. And then he let me have speak to his number two, Christoph. So I just absolutely hammered him for about two hours and asked loads of questions. Um, and then just came back and applied what I learned. And, and one of my probably really good mates, um, who's the tennis coach down in Bournemouth, Shane, he saw me deliver a warm-up. Uh, with uh, with this gear as well, so I brought this little Indiaka. It's it's it's, it's, it's like a shuttlecock, um, and there's an actual sport like volleyball, but there's like a play one that's made out of foam. So I had that. So the warm ups that I was doing at this tournament were kind of a combination of these different skills. So I'd like hit this thing, so like they were volleying, and I would put it in my pocket, and then I throw a med ball at them. And he just came on. He was like, "Our guys are good. Like our rest are good, but that's just like next level stuff." And I just nicked it all from Benny, but. Benny's very good at what he does. And the person who taught Benny taught Fedra. So Fedra work moves all right. So yeah, I just kind of went and just, just, just spent the time there. Just, just asked, like I say, I think it was, it was the norm for people to go and look. And I just went out there, I think maybe three or four days, but yeah, just, just willingness to get, put my hand in my pocket and, and go and spend time with the best. And just, it was, you know, it was nice that he said, yeah, I could go. So he and I talk pretty regular and stuff now. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just, like you say, you might have to knock in quite a few emails. You might have to ask a favour of somebody that knows them, or it might just happen by chance. But, you know, you push hard enough and you ask nicely enough. You know, like Kia, Kia always says, you can't just kind of ask for this. It can't be a one-way thing, you know, if you can give a reason as to why it might be beneficial for the person that you want to go and visit um, as to why he should let you come. It's always worth putting stuff in like that. But, yeah, like growing your network is something I've done since day one like I'm pretty cheeky I'll just speak to people and you know I feel like I've got I've got a massive network like if I ever needed a job or I needed to speak to somebody that I don't know I've got enough people who are well renowned enough that I could ask them to say look any chance and that they'd probably pass on my details or whatever so like growing your network and that and never eat alone the book like that's, yeah. that's as important as anything you know, the, your networks the, the ones that are going to get you connections are going to be the ones that that get you your next job, really. Not not your CV, not your master's degree that everybody else has got and you've never left school because you've done primary school, secondary school, college, uni and the master's and never worked yet. Like, not interested. I was shoveling concrete when I was 16. Like, 
I'd take somebody who's got that life experience over other people. Absolutely. And uh, if you, I mean, Benny aside, uh, a question that I ask uh, all the guests is if they could observe one coach working with their athletes, who would they observe and why? Coach John Wooden I've gone with. Just because he like took care of the basics, like he would literally spend a session teaching the guys how to look after their feet, um, how to put their socks on correctly, because you could be the star player and you've tanked on kind of putting clean socks on, you get a really bad blister and then you can't play in the final. He took care of the finer stuff, but even more importantly than that, he has a, a pyramid of success. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I haven't. He's a religious guy as well. Um, but like across the bottom of the pyramid is industriousness, friendship, loyalty, cooperation, enthusiasm. Uh, at the top is competitive greatness. But as we've talked earlier, it's, it's, you know, competitive greatness is built on a lot of kind of behaviors and values and beliefs first. Um, so I think he, he, he was somebody who worked with the person as much as he would the athlete. Um, and he was somebody who went into, um, coaching late I think he was a he was a teacher for a long time so he understood teaching and the value of stories and how to get your message across how to speak you know pull this guy to one side to get what you want or you've got to speak to that guy in the group because he needs that bit of pressure um so I think it's that and again like you can't rush it and you know I don't he was the most I think he's pretty much the most successful college basketball coach of all time at UCLA number number of wins but yeah he was a proper old dude you know he had a lot of life experience that he could call upon um i think i keep saying it but you just can't rush it you know you'll become the coach you want to be in 10 years it just takes that amount of time to deliver great sessions terrible sessions awesome programs injure people upset people get sacked off players get jobs you never thought you would get you know yeah it just takes that time it really does. It really does. I mean, to be fair, that's uh, as good an answer to my next question uh, as I might get. So uh, you feel free to leave it out if you want. Um, yeah, but my penultimate question was just going to be, um, if you could give one key take home for the listeners, what would it be? Work your ass off. That's it. Work your ass off. Like, don't kill yourself either. It's a job. Yeah, this kind of badge of honour of literally killing yourself is not, it's not sustainable. I've burnt out more than once. Um, had a job that I believe was my dream job and turned out not to be, and it was a struggle to deal with. But yeah, like it changed. I've got a daughter now; she's two over two now. Um, and and at, at, when you when you're in your when you're youngest and you're your hungriest and you can push yourself really hard and recover well, a bit like when I was with CrossFit, like I probably don't think I could cope with what I used to do physically then but whilst you've got the energy whilst you've not got the responsibilities of a child just work your ass off be smart about it don't kill yourself but it doesn't go unnoticed it doesn't go unnoticed like you know you've got to put yourself out there you've got to be like I say on the tip of the tongue of the people that make the decisions that you've been a good egg you've been in the off your own back, like you say, you've travelled and spent the night in a McDonald's. Like literally, they will never have forgot that story. Um, it's, it's those little extra bits that make the difference, in my opinion. Um, but I just, 
you know, all this stuff about paid in- internships, unpaid internships, all this sort of stuff. It's just for me, I don't know if it's like a step back to a sense of entitlement. Um, I did two, I volunteered like extensively for two years. And like I say, I had to start cycling because I had no money left to come and work for free. So it, it's it's just, just, just it, it's that work ethic really that yeah. underpins everything else. Well, I, I said to Tim Stevenson yesterday off air that, um, I think it's so easy to listen to the majority of voices of social media, like using internships as an example. So I paid to do an internship uh, with Durham University and had to dig into my savings from being a lifeguard and working 60 hour weeks in the summer. So I had to pay to relocate, I had to pay for the internship. And like, I know a lot of people listening to this would be like, you paid to do an internship, but there was CPD in with it. There was 30 different sports and having just left uni I didn't think that I had the right to be I mean even if they said it was paid at that stage in my career with the skill set I had I'd be like what on earth am I getting paid for because I'm not offering anything because I'm not I don't I'm I've never coached before at this point or certainly not strength conditioning didn't know anything about strength and conditioning and that year for me was one of my best years of development as a coach because mm. it was 30 different sports it was you know seven in the morning till seven at night working with established coaches and yeah I paid for it but that was a hundred percent worth the investment like the development I learned in that year was unbelievable but everyone's up in arms about unpaid internships or even paid internships I think it's so context dependent that you can't just be you can't just say oh well it's not paid therefore it's bad or it is paid therefore it's good I would I would like to put a caveat like uh, something that doesn't get spoken about enough and that's coach coach health. Like it's a job. You do not need to be on that phone on WhatsApp speaking to athletes beyond eight o'clock that night. Unless you've got a session with them at seven AM, you don't need to speak to them. Yeah. You don't need to be like have constant connectivity. You don't need to be emailing on the weekends. You've got to set boundaries because you know, I Darren Roberts used to put, we would do these performance forums and we put on about specificity of training, busy, um, sports psychology, busy, other topics, busy, coach health. No, hardly anybody came. Yeah, it's the most important one. You know, I've already talked about burnout, but at the end of the day, practice what you preach. You speak to your athletes about sleep, nutrition and training. You've got to do it as well. And I think that's kind of what Grant's getting, Grant Jenkins getting at. Like, you know, you've got to live and breathe what you're teaching them because if they see you shattered and like you say, working every hour and you can get a hold of them at any time, you're not, you're not, you're not walking the walk. So you've got to look after yourself because at the end of the day, you know, athletes are ruthless. You know, they will drop, drop you and forget you. There's the odd one who like truly, you know, for me, they should be as well. You know, somebody who's really going to achieve, be a professional, be a world champion, be an Olympic gold medalist, they have to be ruthless. They have to chew up what you've got knowledge-wise and then, sorry, thank you, I appreciate it, but I'm, I'm off. I've got everything you can give me, I'm off. You know, they will. And, you know, you work really hard and really closely with people for a number of years and you're like, oh, such a great relationship. And then they just go. And that's just the way it is. But, you know, if you get cut up about it and, and get too attached to jobs and athletes and stuff like that, it, it, it's silly. So I think, although I said work your ass off, you've got to be smart and, and, and really, really look after your own health. 
Yeah, I mean, a, a quote that I liked um, off the back of my podcast with Greg McKeon, who's the author of Essentialism, uh, a guy called Derek Sivers, uh, who, again, on Tim Ferriss's podcast, which I would recommend listening to, but he says, say yes to everything in your early career. And like, you know, I think that caveat is important. Like I'm, yeah. obviously I'm not big time by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But I put myself in a position where I can say no to things. Whereas, as I said, five, six years ago, you know, go to Sheffield from yeah. Durham and potentially sleep in McDonald's. Yeah, I'll do that if it makes it make it give me a connection. I don't know where I've got it from, but somebody said every time you say yes to something, you say no to many more. Yeah. So be cur- you know, you've got to be careful. Um, yeah. Always saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you always end up putting yourself last. You know, Absolutely. Your nutrition's poor and your training's poor. And we all know that's good for our mental health. Um, so it's really important that you, you don't put yourself last. No, no. And as you said, the context of where are you in your career? Is it appropriate for you to say yes to everything? For example, with a two-year-old daughter, that's just, well, that's going to be a disastrous career Very move so. yeah. and uh, everything else uh, if you were to say yes to everything in that situation. And uh, yeah, context is king. And uh, finally, if you've got uh, a recommended resource or something you're currently reading, it can be a book, podcast, um, whatever you're currently into at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rereading it again. It's Atomic Habits by James Clear. Oh, fantastic book. Fantastic. It's, it's for you and it's for your athletes. You know, even the concept of hack, habit stacking, which is the easiest way to create a habit is to attach it to another. Okay, you arrive for tennis. You arrive for tennis at this time every week can we just add 12 minutes before it or tennis coach? Do you mind just doing 12 minutes of this performance preparation? It's going to add up. It's going to stop and get any, you know, attach it to what they're already doing. Be reasonable. You know, the end of the day, if working with youth athletes, they've got like two jobs. They're at school all day and they're an athlete. So then you start giving them loads of homework and this, that, and the other, you know, getting better at, you know, letting guys do their individual stuff in squad sessions, try and facilitate and be smart. But yeah, it's a great book of, of, of pulling your own life in order and how you can potentially like positively manipulate situations to get people to do more positive habits, more productive lifestyles, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's a very good book. Yeah. And definitely one of those, I literally said to someone on Instagram the other day, it's definitely falls into my game changer category. It's mm, fantastic definitely. read. And uh, finally, if people want to reach out to you, where can they check out your work, get in touch with you, whatever? Yes, I'd, probably the easiest is, is is Instagram at tennis, is, sorry, at HGreen Tennis Fit. And then if there's any like tennis coaches or SNCs working in tennis, uh, go and check out uh, tennissupermovers.com. Um, that's, where, that's where my next kind of, I guess, push in life is going, so aspirational dreams marines grand slam players box now is to, to get super movers out there and, and really helping tennis coaches awesome that's and i'll make sure all of those are in the show notes that's uh, a brilliant man. place to uh, end it thanks very much howard cheers todd thank you for listening to episode number 30 of the platform to perform podcast with myself todd davidson and today's guest howard green if you've enjoyed the show then please share it with a parent, teacher or coach. 
that you feel would benefit from listening to today's episode. And if you could leave us a review via your preferred podcast platform, that'd be great as this helps other people find the podcast. If you'd like to support the platform to perform podcasts, then you can do so by heading over to www.patreon.com forward slash Todd Davidson P2P Coaching. In exchange for supporting the podcast, you'll have access to my exclusive strength and conditioning educational content along with programs and every single lesson that I've delivered of Calisthenics Kids, which aims to develop movement skill, confidence and strength in children using bodyweight only training. Hope you've enjoyed the episode and I'll catch you again in the next one.